Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. Alex, you know what? This was the scene when I was in high school. They were like, yeah, and then this happens. And I was like, shut the fuck up. No way. There's no way you can put that on TV. That's where I draw the fucking line. Yeah, absolutely. Sunday Scaries. I realized today... Uh, I have I have a lot of like misophonia things where it's like mm. like noises. I don't like whistling. I don't like uh, random like tiny noises. And particularly, one of my biggest pet peeves is is passively listening to people scrolling through TikTok that I'm not like looking at. Oh, like in the other room. Like the audio of it. It's mm-hmm. like somebody like flipping through channels on a TV, basically, because it's just incoherent, inconsistent, sort of without context, no context <laughs> noises that just in, in a in a flurry. Uh, that I don't know. It it kind of it, for some reason it starts like boring a needle into my brain, mm-hmm. or at, like maybe pu- taking a big giant um, acupuncture needle and puncturing directly underneath my eyeball. Yeah, something yeah. like that. It feels like that. That's what yeah. it feels like to That's me. That's a good reference. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say needle jokes uh, hit different after this. They do, man. Yeah. I don't know how we're all feeling, but uh, it's uh, it's Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take the edge off by taking a deep dive into a particular scary movie uh, and making connections between that movie and other movies within the genre. I'm Travis. I'm hanging out with Tyler in Dallas. We have Daniel. And on the West Coast, <laughs> Papa's himself, Big Daddy Spud. Yo, what's Daniel. Up, Big Daddy Spud. <laughs> Spud Meister yeah. 3000. Never met a I Spud have. I didn't like. <laughs> I have some coworkers with Spanish last names, and there's one of them was Dorado, and another one was Del Mundo, so they were like, we were jokingly like calling them the English versions of their name, and then they got to me, and they were like, Daniel Potato. Like, it was mm. so underwhelming. <laughs> I was like, that's definitely a Fast fair. and the Furious Donovan Torado name yeah. uh, joke to be made there. <laughs> Daniel Potato. Family. family. It's all about family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, uh, so we finished this, uh, a miniseries talking about zombies and decided to start a brand new miniseries talking about foreign film. Uh, and to kick off our foreign film series, which focuses mainly on J-horror and K-horror, mm-hmm. Korean and Japanese film and cinema, we decided to watch a movie that I think left us, I don't know, it left me feeling weird. I don't know. I don't know how I I'll feel. I'll never about be the same. I'll never be the same for sure. We can have Jamaria <laughs> to think up to think about that one. Yeah. Uh, what do we watch? The uh, audition. audition. Is it audition? It, the, the article is dropped, isn't it? I, it's I just always audition. I think you're right. I think it's just audition. Yeah, and then and then the Japanese name is audition. Well, you wrote the audition on the on the notes. That was probably on me. But we watched we watched audition. Uh, yeah. 1999 Takashi Miike's uh, mm-hmm. adaptation of a novel, a Japanese novel by the same name. Uh, mm-hmm. The audition tells the 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 harrowing journey of a man searching for love uh in all the wrong places going about <laughs> it all the wrong way and what does he end up with just a little bit of heartbreak 
and then things yeah. go spiraling out of control. <laughs> Um, so we've like we've referenced this movie a couple of different times, uh, I think, because it's inspired so many other horror movies and other, it, or um, at least has been homaged in other movies. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a particular scene from Hereditary that I think is what we can talk about in a little bit that definitely yeah. seems like it was ripped directly from uh, the content of this movie. Yeah. And um, one could argue this is the beginning of what became like the the torture porn, you know, saw hostile. Uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah, like, a lot of those guys all drew from this for sure. There's that um, era of early to mid 2000s where Eli Roth, uh, James Wan coming in hot with the, yeah, this is sort of the genesis of that adaptation of uh, just body gore turned up to eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Japanese man, they they do it and they lean into than it. Anyone else? It's does. a thing. Yeah. This is another. It it, it also oddly. Um, I think there's there's definitely some intentionality here, but the so that this book comes out in 1997, right? Um, there's so much in the book itself. I have the little novella sitting in the bedroom over there, but uh, it it reads a lot like American Psycho too, in a mm. way, uh, especially in the depths of uh, the. There's rough scenes in this movie, and they're kind of they go into much more detail in the book too, mm-hmm. um, particularly with a certain family pet. Um, but yeah, so this is no, my first time watching no. this. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like I said, we've talked about this movie I think in reference to other uh, movies that we've covered before, but um, I hadn't actually seen the like the original movie before. I had um, not either. Yeah, and it's uh, free to stream on Tubi. If anybody out there is uh, wanting to watch this movie with ads, it's up there on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I watched it. Uh, Me too. It was just the easiest. The ads way. weren't too bad. No, it wasn't bad. Did and you- then. Did y'all know what it was before you saw it? Like you kind of knew what was gonna happen, or did you just know I that it knew was a thing? The I the premise and the idea, and I knew where it was going. Like, mm-hmm. and it was interesting watching this because I feel like if you're cold watching this with no context whatsoever, the way this movie is organized and the way it plays out is fascinating. It has it's it is yeah. the slowest of burns up to with, a catastrophic ending. Yeah, with no context through Act Two, it's a rom com. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, what I was totally. And then it, it very quickly becomes the opposite it, of a rom com. Right. It it actually <laughs> plays almost like a really, really good like like it someone in Japan watched a lot of early nineties rom coms and then like made their own. They were like, Oh, this could easily be Meg Ryan like in Tom Hanks like <laughs> yeah. in Seattle. If you were to cast the American adaptation of the audition, is that who you'd be going with? A Meg Ryan Tom Hanks? That would actually be awesome. <laughs> it was just the 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 whole cast of Sleepless in Seattle, but with but the plot of the audition. Yeah, and it's fun. well, even in the ad that they put on the radio for the audition in this, they mention what Audrey Hepburn and Julia Roberts. Right, they started yeah. out normal. You can be like them. Like, yeah, you could pick any of those type of typecast <laughs> rom com characters, like leading woman. Yeah, and just shove them right in there. Who would you do today? What if this was Harry Styles and uh, Florence Pugh? Or no, it would have to be more of a middle age actor. It'd have to be like. Um, Don't let's put see. Harry Styles anyway. Yeah, no, that would be. I'm saying, yeah, the the cynical Hollywood casting side of my brain is like, who if the, if the audition was being remade in say like 2015 to 2018, um, who would be our leading man? Colin Farrell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has to be somebody seedy. Because you though. could see him as like a widower. Though, yeah, because you know? that's uh, the thing. Is like, have you guys seen the Lobster? I mean, that's kind okay. of like well, a very, yeah, very yeah, light yeah. audition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, that's interesting. But then the 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 female lead has to, is the uh, the other one too that has to like drive it home. I could see mm. um, Leah Sadu, the French actor who is in um, actually uh, fucking, Crimes of the Future. Yeah, right? maybe yeah. Viggo Mortensen and Leah Sadu. Like yeah, that'd that would be work. a yeah. That would, I could see that. Um, 
the the haunting beauty of a of a of a female lead who gets cast for a movie too. Mm-hmm. Well, like ironically, there is some meta ness um, to the movie as well. Kind of um, a fake movie. A fake movie that never yeah. really happened. But the, had you actually seen this before, Daniel? I know we talked about it before, um, but I didn't know if you'd seen. I yeah, I have not. I hadn't actually seen this. Uh, but when I was in high school, uh, I'm, I hung out with some cinephiles who this was like in the early days of Netflix when they'd mail you DVDs, and so they were like in the deep cuts uh, in the in the silent libraries of Netflix when they pulled up audition and I, they watched it without me and the next day they were telling they told me how it ends and i was like that's not you can't do that on camera like you're like, like 16 I don't year old me was that. like uh-huh. yeah 16 year old 17 year old me was like that that's impossible why would anyone watch that why would anyone this make was that? 1999 then, yeah yeah so somebody i know watched it in like 2009 or 10 maybe and i guess they were like tapped into it because they were like oh no it's a whole thing like you gotta go see it it's crazy it has this insane ending and it, I never forgot that moment in my life because that's when, like, the idea of what cinema is, like, you know, like, <laughs> you, you have, like, this such conventional, like, oh, it's fun, it's like movies. And then you realize that, like, it just takes on another level, right? Like, like the box opens a little bit more. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. This is definitely a box opening kind of movie. It it's uh it's so Lynchian too in its structure though. I think that was one of the biggest comments. I don't know. Did you put that in your like letterbox review? I, I've heard somebody say yeah, that. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I, I, yeah. The dream sequence, uh, the finale, like this where he pieces it all together is like Peter, yeah, uh, David Lynch. But it's 1999. So part of me is like, I have in my personal notes. I'm like, who did it first? You know, like, right? Is it this what came weird first? Miasma of influences. Yeah. And it, but it comes about too. I think what you what you said a minute ago too about the the shock value and word of mouth power that movies like this have. I think that says a lot about the sort of the advent of this era of movies that we we talked about, where it's um, the the whole onslaught of torture porn style movies and the shock value of you know the first set, the first couple of Saw movies, uh, Hostel, um, mm-hmm. Cabin Fever, um, these these well, movies. I... I want to go on record too, just so that we like put this on the oh, list. I gotta take a shot now. <laughs> said on the record. I do. Um, there's even like a different sub sub genre of torture porn that is like X rated. Like you legally mm-hmm. can't get copies of these movies. Uh, a Serbian film. Yeah. Um, even things like Solo. Human yeah. centipede, kind of human almost centipede. walking that line. Yeah. Uh, which is like in it, it, its own form of like pushing the boundaries to make tor- it makes torture porn look quaint, right? And, and, and this is like torture porn is just like murdering people, and these mm-hmm. movies like explore like incest and and like just horribly yeah. taboo topics. Yeah, and there's it's always like the idea that like transgressive art will like push you know ideas or like change the way you think about it. Um, and as a fun addendum to this, they screened a Serbian film at a Fantastic Fest. I think like one <laughs> eight, they, but they they told everyone what it was. But apparently, yeah, you Tim gotta, that's League, a no, Tim League opened the film by doing a reverse tequila shot with four crew, uh, crowd members. What? They were like, if you're gonna watch this movie, this is the sensation of watching this movie. You know what a reverse tequila shot is? Elaborate. Is that where you put oh, it up my your God. butt? No, you you, you, snort the salt. no you snort the salt, you pour the lime juice in your eye, and then you take the tequila shot. <laughs> that's not a reverse. That's just the that's just that's missing. Just a, a misplaced. <laughs> that's just a clumsy tequila shot. <laughs> but they that's said it was like though. the equivalent of watch they were like, if you want to watch this movie, this you should do this reverse tequila First. shot now. And then uh 
I want to tell everyone that's listening, like, audition is the entry, is, like, the gateway, the, the gateway drug to that sub-sub-genre is, like, mm-hmm. if you think that audition is for you and you go down this rabbit hole, like, it just gets dark. It's it's funny because this movie is so artful, though. Like, in the way that it's made, it isn't as, ex- like, there is explicit content in here, but it mm-hmm. actually, he does... Uh, Takashi Miyuki le- leaves things to your imagination, and that is kind of one of the other more unsettling things about this movie. Mm-hmm. He tends to, even in the goriest parts of the movie, he tends to be pulling away, like the camera shifts away from the direct subject of like what's happening, and you see the yeah. reactions, or you see the reverse shot. Most but, is not shown. Yeah, you're yeah. not. A lot of times, you're not directly seeing the the actual content there, which I think is int- it's interesting, but it's also it speaks to, um, I mean, just the artfulness of that director's filmography too. Mm-hmm. Um, had you guys seen uh, Thirteen Assassins? or uh, mm-hmm. Ichi the Killer. Um, so some of his other... Takashi Miike is like sort of infamous for... Uh, kind of like Tarantino for yeah. the hyper-violence. And those um, all came out like right around the same time, he, right? This, this is, is where Miike like got really popular and hit his stride yeah, as audition, far as like feature length goes. Yeah, Audition seems to be kind of like maybe the peak as far as, far as like not maybe... This is... I wouldn't... Auteur cinema or but just like cinema for cinema's sake this Mm. is sort of you know maybe his masterpiece i guess is Mm. what some people think um i've seen clips of 13 assassins and uh each of the killer but i haven't seen those all the way through but 13 assassins actually have you seen i've seen i've seen 13 assassins i actually Uh saw takashi Miike at fantastic fest what yeah he came to present get him on the podcast (laughs) he he was i've never met him like i I did it was like a big group q a uh-huh. Um, but he was the nicest man ever. It's so funny. He's like super nice, and they asked him all these intense questions, and he kind of was just like, "Yeah, I don't know. I just did what seemed right." They're like, yeah. "Did you know when movie. you did this?" Yeah, he's like, "I don't. I just I did it." He was showcasing some film that's not like one of his biggest ones, but definitely, uh, um, like he was. And I'll say this: yeah, I'm funny. It's funny you mentioned Tarantino. Is audition actually so? Tarantino has a list of like twenty movies to see that came out after nineteen ninety two, that are mm-hmm. like the best movies to see, and audition is one of them. And the oh, reason he calls yeah. it the twenty best movies after nineteen ninety two is because that's the year he started making films. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently, those two era. have like they have like tons of love for each other. Takashi oh, yeah. and Quentin Tarantino. I think they have similar treatments by just culture and the industry too, where it is, you see the interviews of people like uh, newscasters asking Tarantino, like, why the violence? Why, why the gore and why the bloodiness? And he's like, cause it's fun. That's because it. I, that's how I wanted to do it. Yeah. And I'm happy you guys liked it. Yeah. But like, you didn't have to yeah. either. And that's it. Takashi Miike is on record saying stuff like that too. Like when I asked, why do you think the Western audience likes this so much? He basically says, I don't know. I just made a movie, yeah, and I'm glad they like it. I, and he specifically says, "I don't want to get that far into that. I don't yeah. want to go down yeah. that rabbit hole because it's not for them. It's for me." And oddly, there's something Lynchian about that too, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever you talk to David Lynch, like when we covered Mulholland Drive, right, and uh, some of the other David Lynch filmography, it's he's he's of that mind too, where he doesn't spend time. Um, feeling like he, it's his job to explain his movies to people or mm. interp- like give them a specific interpretation. It's part of the art form is letting people consume it in the way that they want to. Um, and yeah, this movie definitely has elements of that. But yeah, so uh, the premise of this movie, right? Um, so uh, Shigahu- uh, Shi- uh, sorry. Shigaharu Aoyama is our main character um, 
played by Ryo Ishibashi. All right, I'm going to be stumbling over some of the names. I'll let you do that because I don't want to butcher him. I'm I'm doing my best. So (laughs) uh, a widower who the the movie kicks off right with him, basically the last moments of his uh, of his wife um, as she dies in a hospital bed. And tragically, their son is approaching with an art project that he had Mm -hmm. made her um, for that day. So the the movie opens very poignantly uh, with the death of his wife, Uh, basically over the next uh, seven, ten years. uh, His son grows to be a young teenager um, and he continues with his continues with his professional career but then eventually finds himself lonely he's called out by his son for how Mm -hmm. run down he looks and how lonely he is and there's lots of elements of this movie too that i think it's interesting that this movie was never adapted into an american you know version of this movie and that Mm -hmm. like it shouldn't for one thing because it's it's amazing the way it is there was a push in in the 2000s for it Mm -hmm. to happen but the project fell apart and it's probably for the best it's for the best but it's also i think there is some uniquely it seems like you know japanese cultural things that maybe don't transfer to like one-to-one to to american culture i think the patriarchal society aspect yeah you know obviously we still have what do you still have that in america too what are you talking about no we solved all the problems yeah you're right (laughs) barbie is a movie barbie's a movie Um, (laughs) have you seen barbie yet but that era of japan you know is there's a lot to be said about gender roles and you know lonely the loneliness of men which mm-hmm. kind of even comes up in this movie too. yeah um i don't know it's we, we don't have to go like that far into like japanese society yeah and isolation and but, stuff like that but there but is something about like i don't know the sexual think, fetishism uh that's like prominent like that that crosses the ocean i'll say that like we as americans are receiving secondhand you know not mm-hmm. like steeped in their culture but i think the sexual fetishism is the biggest hang-up when it comes to like discussing some of this like odd age right. gap stuff, power dynamics, mm-hmm. like things that like mm-hmm. obviously it's a, it's their culture, you know, they have different yeah. elements to it. Um, and my my wife, because I watch anime, my wife has pointed out that like multiple times it's it's the age gaps that's the biggest problem. Is like mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. there's an odd an odd interest in people like 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 60, the fetishization like under of youth. 18. In ways that's like it's it's bordering on very very uncomfortable, like the idea of like schoolgirl, uh, like outfits and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, like getting into like middle school, high school age girls, where it's like that's that's deeply uncomfortable in ways that's that's transgressive, and it. And it seems like the kind of the, the whole first segment of the movie, too, is spending time... Like, this movie does a really cool, I think, um, almost Silence of the Lambs kind of thing. Uh, but it, it's also um, something, like, about Barbarian, too, where you're, you're portraying sort of subtle... Many subtle different examples of the ways that uh, gender dynamics and sort of, like, the romantic scene in this sort of cultural environment function where mm-hmm. there are the like in barbarian we have the sort of the three different examples of like a monster right where in that movie you get the scarred bill Skarsgård character who comes in and is sort of the presented as the the nice guy nice guy yeah he's, which he's is the, an issue in and of itself yeah he's the quote-unquote yeah. nice guy but he still has ulterior motives and he's like overly pushy like he doesn't mm-hmm. take no for an answer and then in that movie you have um the justin long character who's like the worst example of like something we can we can look at in society and see many ex- examples of it and it, it, as a horrible person who was a monster and did something wrong and should face the consequences for it mm-hmm. and then deeper into that movie you have the absolute like the worst Outright thing abuser. Yeah, yeah that a human being can be essentially like a, mm-hmm. a true like sinister like ex- existence that is dark to even talk about uh, yeah. or whatever and, and i there's, think it, there's heavy analogs to like all three of those types of men 
in this exactly movie yeah as well. it's the thing of like you know the so the the one that stuck out to me the most and i think that uh that you're what you're talking about daniel um maybe you think of as a reference is him sort of like him and his son are both like they're kind of like bachelors right they're they're mm. living together in the house together they have a, a, a maid who comes and like makes them food and stuff but they're the way talking they talk about to each other yeah and- they talk yeah. about you know getting girlfriends, and his son is like, "You need to you need to marry again. You're you're sad. You're bumming me out, dude." Um, and but they're they're also like his son's also like chasing skirts and stuff. Like his mm-hmm. dad is like proud of him for bringing home a cute girl. But yeah, he's and like, nice job. Exactly, he's and like, it, she's like 15. Dude. Exactly, and it, <laughs> but it, but it's sort of a it's played off as goofy and funny, right? Yeah. In almost that rom com kind of way. But it's it's interesting because it's when it comes full circle at the end of the movie you're mm-hmm. like oh we laid that out because there is a sinister undertone to that yeah. that he's you know presenting there but um, the in- they initiate him as like a likable mm-hmm. almost a protagonist yeah that by the end becomes an antagonist yeah exactly um, and you're kind of it, it it's interesting the structure of that because this movie the way the way it's structured is we get all of those various examples from like, you know, the son having like a girlfriend maybe. And then the whole process, the weird, you know, the fundamental like disgusting thing about auditioning women mm-hmm. under the guise of a professional opportunity, Choo- choosing one from a lineup. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like... Um, the, the most evil Tinder. Yeah. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, it's crazy. And, uh, and then I think that's, that's what's interesting about the structure, the sort of like non, chronological way that this movie is is laid out when we get all of those reveals later on you see like how sinister it is for him to be so manipulative right and Mm. like how like it's being played as romantic or goofy or funny for so much of the movie but then when it comes all full circle you're like oh no he's just another example of a guy in a long line of abusers that this woman has it's just more you know more veiled Mm -hmm. thinly veiled yeah or more acceptable from a certain like if you're it's like if you're if you're playing at it and contextualizing it as all being like you know for fun or justified Mm -hmm. it it makes it locker room okay yeah right yeah um I don't know. Yeah, his whole conversations yeah. with before Yoko, we Yoshikawa. dip off of this, I think the yeah. other analog, con- like compared mm-hmm. to the the monsters and barbarian, we have like the outright abuser too, which mm-hmm. we'll get to is the uncle, yeah, or stepfather, mm-hmm. right? That creates the monster, yeah, creates the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another parallel that before we hop off, this, yeah, I was like, there's your other, yeah. It is your very... other tie to like a similar one creates the monster, one perpetuates the monster. Yeah, and then one is like the yeah, and then the monster itself, which is it's also that's that was my letterbox review is uh this is a testing the limits of the good for her movies, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Where, yeah, is because what is is barbarian? Like how how much can we justify this? <laughs> yeah, that goes into it with uh with Midsummer or uh, Gone Girl or Jennifer's Body. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of these. Ready or not? Yeah, ready or not? Like, <laughs> good for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one you're like ooh. <laughs> um. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, just jumping in here in the middle of the episode to say thank you for listening. And if you guys like what you hear, please feel free to tag us on social media at Scary Sunday Scaries. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. It really helps us get more followers uh, and interact with you guys. So we hope we hear from you guys soon. Thanks. The yeah. So the, the way the way the movie plays out. Um... <laughs> <laughs> back to the plot. Back to the plot. Uh, essentially, yeah. See, so what the dad, happened was what happened was <laughs> Aoyama agrees. He says, "Yeah, you're right. I do need a wife." And so he basically conspires with his one of his colleagues, who is a producer. film and television producer, um, talking about, you know, I'm an old man, like, but I I'm I'm, I'm not dead yet, and I want to have a new wife. And he says, "Yeah, but how do you go about doing it? You know, dating sucks. You know, you're too." You're too mm. mature for that. You don't like. You're not going to find the right kind of woman. He asks you know. if, he want, if he wants an arranged marriage. 
marriage. Yeah. Um, so the plan that they had come up with is for the film producer, uh, friend of his to basically put together the pitch for a fake movie that's, that they have no intention of making. Mm-hmm. Um, he, they have an AI script thrown together, um, by ChatGPT, uh, <laughs> and then they post, to, um, threads that they're going to have auditions, uh, for, uh, this, this imaginary movie that's going to happen. Um, I do love so in the course of doing this right they create the profiles or like like they they put out a radio ad and then women from all over send in their applications with Mm -hmm. essays too and a photograph and I was like there's a certain part of me that when I was still sort of enjoying the rom-com element of this I love analog tinder analog tinder makes me like a hard copy (laughs) of your headshot yeah mailed to a specific address yeah yeah it's it's paper clipped to the file to the manila folder you've got your essay like your Nobody handwritten to, essay. Can you imagine if you had essays on Bumble uh, or like Tinder for like why you know like pitching yourself to you know for the yeah, role? I mean, I haven't, the... I have not dated in a long time. But if I went on Bumble and saw an essay, I think I would just skip. That'd be like a swipe <laughs> left for me, right? Like I don't know. It's it's interesting though, but that, that it also serves uh, as exposition for us because very early on, as uh, as uh, Aoyama is flipping through uh, the profiles of all these women who've sent in their headshots and everything for this imaginary movie that's going to be made, um, he happens upon uh, Asami Yamazaki's uh, profile and is smitten. And mm-hmm. through her essay, we get a little bit of exposition too into her backstory, which is a a veil a, a, a version of truth. Uh, she mm-hmm. she explains that she was a ballet dancer who suffered an injury. Um, that essentially ruined her career and she's uh she sees um the loss of her ability to dance as as almost like a like a type of death right Mm -hmm. um which is another theme theme that i think is interesting that they sort of hint at like at her the the way that she sort of portrays her perspective like i wonder how much of that like how much of that do you feel like was her being honest or was it like her still playing into that character that she was like because her the whole first section of the movie, she just lays it on thick in the most like mm-hmm. you know it's it's a manic pixie dream girl like fantasy yeah thing gone wild yeah um, I don't I guess it's hard to say yeah like how much of that is true yeah or if or it's fabricated like, to specifically to enamor Ariyama yeah it's 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 interesting I don't know she because yeah the whole, the whole first section of the movie she's doing she's playing up manic pixie dream girl to to a T. She's, you know, they they have the audition, which I guess we should talk about which, the the audition the, process. The more itself. I think about it, it was intentional yeah. that she played it like that because yeah. she was playing, she was trying to be targeted as the weak, the vulnerable, the one that he would pick, yeah, to manipulate, yeah. Because towards the end, she says like, "You brought all these all these women in for the audition, and I could be the luckiest one to be like." I think yeah. it was all she knew intentional. She, yeah. It was this was all planned out. Yeah. You know? Well, in her essay, like, the way she highlights how she, like, can't dance anymore, how she, like, mentions that she grieves for it, I think was so interesting because he creates a parallel, but the entirety of the movie, he doesn't express grief at all. Like, his <laughs> the just, loss yeah. of his wife seven <laughs> years later has, like, absolutely not affected him one bit, other than the fact that, like, he still has her photograph on his desk. Yeah, so I think which he turns that's, away like, in shame. The, right, but I think that's like one of the more sublime things. Me, me, Takashi Miike does a lot of really small things in this movie that mm-hmm. adds up to showing us that like from the very get-go, this guy's not a good guy. And one of them is like subtly like showing that he manipulates the idea of being a widower 
to draw a connection between this woman who projects yeah. like vulnerability. He's creating the, the sympathy time, for himself. He like never talks about his wife. No. He, like <laughs> they never talk about her. Yeah. All he does is bitch about how his housekeeper can't cook very well. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of an inconvenience than anything. It really truly is. It's like that's the way he's portraying. Yeah. He's like playing the damaged goods and she's like, I can yeah. fix him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's that's also a joke, some... and that's like the irony is he uses he's he doesn't realize he's doing it, but he's using grief to like create a fake bond when she's doing the same exact thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in a, yeah, in a much more sinister way. Um, this audition, right? So the the audition scene is is kind of one of the like the cringiest like ones to watch too. It's it's an interesting. It, the way it's edited together is really fun, and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't expecting to see boobs in it, which is another thing. But yeah, like, that, that part kind of came out of nowhere. It's also it, I felt like I had this on. <laughs> You're uh, both like, gonna get auditioned. You keep talking the way you are. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> right? Um, but I had it on like on one of these monitors, and I was like watching it, and then I would like it got to that part, and I was like, man, I've seen I've seen too many documentaries uh, on on my my researches of the internet um, <laughs> that this doesn't just ring tonally like the the way that they they set up the audition. I'm just like, oh man, this this casting the chair casting is, chair the casting chair you, the black leather casting actually, chair have you ever done an audition it's it's so painful for everyone involved yeah no i have uh i've done i've only done musical auditions i've never done like acting auditions but yeah i've done guitar and piano drum auditions but it is it's it's a weird there's never bef- like the idea of just being in put in a situation where the the conceit is that you're being judged by a group of individuals is such a I don't know it's weird I guess there is a reason a kink evolves out of it um, mm-hmm. but it's in in this moment the way they play this uh, and, and edit together this sequence it's interesting to me because it has the the it has the tonality of um, like Silence of the Lambs to me they do a lot with the sort of like the male gaze and the the idea mm-hmm. of the way they 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 choose to that Takashi Miike chooses to focus on um, Aoyama's face as he's reacting to, you can see him being like elated and falling head over heels with Asami the moment that he sees her, mm-hmm. and it's this slow pan into it, but it's almost it is like sinister because you see it almost through the eyes of the person who's being looked at like that, and you're like it's unsettling because you see him look at her like a like like a piece of meat or like a, yeah, like a like your you mind know, yeah like yeah. He, it's hungry mm-hmm. he's got hungry eyes <laughs> um but it's yeah and the the choice too deliberately to not they they make a point of not showing her from the like the front they show her reverse angle for an extended period of time until mm-hmm. we actually get introduced more into the character we see over her shoulder and we see them reacting to her um and i think that's that's more of the subtle and deliberate choice to sort of show the the grossness the subtle grossness of yeah. the male gaze and from like, her perspective exactly yeah yeah um and it's yeah it's 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 cool it's 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 a, this movie is beautiful like yeah. in, in i noticed one of my things i had in my notes is that for the first part of the film before they do that the auditions aoyama is often shown from behind mm-hmm. the shots are from behind him so you're seeing how people are responding to him, how this producer is like his son's telling him, get a girlfriend. The producer's mm-hmm. like, we'll get all these girls. And then the girl comes in and the perspective flips. Now we're seeing from behind her, from her perspective, them looking at her. And it's and almost like I don't you know if see, that was intentional, but yeah. it seemed intentional. It's almost like you can see the fish hook going into his cheek, right? Mm-hmm. Like she like she knows from that first moment that she's got him, yeah. essentially. Well that's the opening scene of this one of the the second scene of this movie is them fishing. Like a yeah. father son fishing event. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like he so says, painfully... I'm, I'm going to catch the biggest one. I'm going for the yeah. best one. Yeah. yeah. I, I like pretty it's... girls, and it's a... Uh... <laughs> That's it's got, said. like, an Emily Dickinson-ness to it all. It's, like, how, like, <laughs> absolutely very... fucked it is. Yeah, like, they are doomed from the beginning. I also, like, it is, it's, like, tonally, though, the first segment of this movie, it is intercut um, frequently with some of those other shots, though, of... Um, so did you... It took me a second uh, to realize that... Uh, so we get intercuts first of um, Aoyama's wife, actually, yeah, when he is first reading the uh, the essay by Asami, um, and she talks about her injury in ballet school, it cuts to that scene in uh, a hospital, and it's his wife actually standing up very creepily in front mm-hmm. of the hospital bed, and it's almost as if like the ghost of his wife is Just like that's him. the moment that like she is sort of like going away or going out of his brain because mm-hmm. he's starting to fall in love when with somebody else. He turns her picture around, yeah. Right? Um, and then once the audition happens and once we get introduced to Asami and they tell her that they're going to re- you know, reach out to her by phone or call her, um, the scenes of her sitting alone in the room next to the burlap sack and the rotary phone just staring at it yeah. and waiting for it to ring. They're, they're dropped in there for just brief cuts yeah. and brief moments to tonal, remind you. That, that tonal shift is yeah, so it's abrupt. Up, yeah, jarring. Yeah. Um, and that's how you know like this – this movie does a great job of just the slow build and suspense mm-hmm. and dread of of which I think is is something specific to Japanese and Korean like Asian you know Pacific horror basically like these they're they're so good at this like the slow like the dreadful approach and suspense of um of a threat and something that you know is going to happen eventually and these mm-hmm. tonal little nuggets like drop that in there where you're like this lady's this lady's no yeah. good she's bad yeah, news yeah, yeah. man I don't know um, which his friend even tells him, Yoshikawa is a bro, man. It's it's so uh-huh. funny how gender dynamics reverse. It would be uh, like so evident that this is a like a dangerous situation to be in, right? Mm-hmm. But his friend Yoshikawa, after Aoyama has already reached out, he he jumps the gun way too fast. He like he reaches mm-hmm. out to her by, over phone. There's that one moment he's gonna like leave his office, and you think he's gonna like maybe wait a little bit longer to call her, um, but he can't help himself. And the moment that scene of him calling and the phone ringing and her slowly looking up and smiling as she's the she's, shot with her hair hanging over oh it's yeah it's it, incredibly unsettling um i don't know i like it i like it uh but yeah his friend attempts to tell him to not call her yeah. fast enough right the girl's crazy bro he, he's like we don't, crazy. we don't know anything about this lady uh-huh. like come on man and it's he also it, seems extremely unsettled yeah like well, she she gives him her bona fides. She he's like, who do you know? And she kind of tells like she gives a name and a place, and then he tells him like, I checked it out. That that guy disappeared like eighteen months ago. We don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to him. I don't. I think he, she made him up. Like yeah. So there's real reason for him to be worried. He's not just like that that shit crazy, bro. Like he actually did some research, and the more research he does, the more confusing it gets. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because none of her stuff adds up. And back then, it was a lot easier to fake shit. It was so much... You could just, like, yeah. tell people anything, right? Well, I mean, and she played it off in, like, the most innocent way mm-hmm. then, too, and said, well, I just wanted to, like, get my foot in the door. They mm-hmm. said if I had a, a manager, I would do better. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, that's not that unheard of for yeah. somebody to do in that industry, you know? And Especially back then when things were less globalized, you didn't have internet. Like, you could get away with shit like that. And they pl- easily. they play out the mystery like pretty well too. I think until it really does take so long for the turn. Like you know something's up, you know something's wrong, but it's it's so unclear like what the final result is going to well, be. Until the this end of the is movie. kind of like my big existential question about this movie. This is why I wish like 
We need like somebody who's not listening to this podcast episode right now who has never heard of this movie. I want to know what they think is going to happen the entire time. Like if you knew nothing about audition, clearly mm. you know something's up, but you would never I don't think anyone would guess the last 15 minutes of that movie, but they would yeah. guess like, "Oh, she's going to do she's going to revenge him, do a revenge on him or something." And so I'm always curious cuz audition forever lives in like the shadow of its own legacy now, right? Is like it's yeah. that movie. It's the yeah. fucked up movie. And so it's like one of those things that's it's influence outsizes its message and I'm always curious like What's a fresh viewer gonna get out of this? Like, what's somebody who has no yeah. idea With what no happens? Context. Like, yeah, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna feel? You need a brave soul, and you also need someone who like <laughs> will forgive you <laughs> for tricking them into that. Like, you need someone who's like very forgiving. What I feel like the the buildup is is it seems as if you know throughout the movie you you get sort of little examples of the underlying. Uh, grossness of Aoyama and you I think it it, it it almost leads you down a path of thinking that he's going to commit some act of treachery like of or of violence or utilize his this weird power dynamic that they've manufactured and mm-hmm. do something like he's going to cross a line at a certain point and it's almost like you're waiting for that to happen constantly because they they establish on the side like his relationship with his secretary or whatever right who like which mm-hmm. comes back finally at the end or yeah, whatever but you're like it's only implied but uh-huh. it's implied enough that it's like pretty evident you're like there's something going on there he's Mm -hmm. done some gross stuff before there's like like this guy is like the more and more the movie carries on and the more and more she's played as like innocent or this like unknowable figure you're like this guy is gonna do something and it's gonna set off like a chain of events that will lead to his demise but he is gonna be the agent of that like destruction right especially once you get to the like the sex scene right like you get to that point in the movie and you're like this is the moment where it's like something's gonna happen and this guy's gonna like cross a boundary or something but it's interesting. It's still played off like very romantically, and then she disappears into the night, right? Mm-hmm. And and is, well, he that, has it's the pivotal her. moment of the whole yeah. movie. So like up until the sex scene, it plays perfectly like a rom com. Like yeah, mm-hmm. the the context without any of the added like um, ominous forebodings going on or whatever. There's like definitely some elements to all of it that plays perfectly like a rom com. Like the frumpy assistant to the protagonist who has a crush mm-hmm. on the protagonist. It's like Shakespearean. Like she needs to have a you know like she'll get her own romance by the end of the movie but yeah you know he like you know downplays her or something like all these little like inside ticks that kind of make me laugh i'm like takashi Mike was definitely watching like all these 90s rom-com <laughs> movies <laughs> looking like at japanese Walmart. society and being like wait a minute wait whoa no 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 these are there's some bad things that happen here you know like if you look at some of the tropes of rom-coms right like weddings getting broken up on the day of like forbidden crushes like people manipulating and stalking each other at their core they are horror stories (laughs) they're horrible like demented people doing insane things um which is an excellent way to approach a movie like this yeah Yeah. in a positive way yeah that's it's so true though. It's like if if you if you committed any of the acts in the in any general rom com between like the nineties and the early two thousands in real life, people like you would probably get arrested you'd most be in of the prison. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. There, I mean, uh, there's definitely some, some safe somewhere. bangers. I think that yeah. like the rom com genre as a whole is not like su- surprisingly horrific, but I do think the standouts, like some of the ones that we'd take for granted, have a lot more going on that you're like, eh, if I thought about this more, that might not be okay. I also now am just realizing that the thing that I've been wanting all this time is the 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 crossover event of rom com horror to be more of a indulged. I mean, I guess we do get more some intentional. Of that. Though, yeah. yeah, 
like and but tonally just doing that and leaning into it with weird like you know ska music in the background and having a pop punk like you know uh not another cute. teen movie yeah. soundtrack going on <laughs> um that just suddenly ends in a, a horrific torture porn scene kind of thing going on it's uh i don't know i didn't know i needed it until now um but yeah, that, that sex scene, dude, like it is, like you said, this is the climax of the movie because this is sort of <laughs> like, hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the hard nut of the movie. Uh, yeah, they, they, there's some post nut clarity yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> they get to, uh, he does experience a lot. I mean, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. The, uh, that's the harshest post nut clarity of all time. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, that is, that's the subtext of this movie. The hardest post nut clarity of all time. <laughs> um, the yeah they, they they go on vacation together and i guess the idea is they're going away for a weekend uh so this um i they don't really make it explicitly clear i think in the movie but in the book they talk about how um this is basically like a vacation like home like lakeside thing that they that he went to with his wife and son um throughout before his wife died and then uh after his wife died him and his son go out to this area to go fishing um and they visit it over the summer once a year and it's a place that he's very familiar with and intimate with um and so he brings Asami along, and they're going to stay there for the weekend. And uh, he's sitting on the couch making all of these plans about, like, oh, we can do this before dinner. We can go see this show. Uh, the food here is okay. The chef is a little snappy. Everything's great. Mm. Meanwhile, she is getting ready to bone. She is. Uh, yeah. She starts slowly undoing her linen white dress, lays herself out under the covers, and then, like, invites him over. She gives him the come hither, and he, mm. he obliges. Um, this scene is also, in the book, is played out, like, it is so much hornier in the book. It's they're they're pretty. I mean, honestly, they're they're pretty subdued with how they play it in the movie. You know, it's it's like he he gets into bed and then it's immediately smash cut to him like waking up the next day. Right? It's almost oh, like yeah. it's a That's it's actually a, kind of a cool trick like that cut right there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the entire scene is actually super interesting because the power dynamics from from the director's point of view of like making mm-hmm. this thing is so interesting to me. Is you never see her naked, even though she does she she does undress. You mm-hmm. never see any of her nude body, even though there's like moments where she's just like flashing him. Mm-hmm. You, you know, she's the one who initiates sex, so she has you know the agency when it comes to sexuality, even to the point where like he's not sure, he's hesitant, and she implies that there have been other men before. Like, there's so much about this scene that gives her the agency, the primacy, and the control that does reverse the gender dynamics in a traditional sex scene. So there's so much mm-hmm. about it where they're being very respectful to her and, and like, yeah. giving this, both the actress and the character, like, all, you know, all the agency and, like, privacy in it. Like, yeah, they don't even show the actual sex. And this movie is definitely R-rated. They could get away with showing oh, yeah. whatever they want after that last 15 minutes. So to not do it is intentionally a choice that gears mm-hmm. the audience up in a lot of ways to like stay in the mindset of like this is a quaint like we're in something rather nice and and familiar um and and, and again and surprisingly it, it's for a 1999 movie she's gets a lot of agency and control for a sex scene that could equally be just blatant like perf like just raw male gaze Mm-hmm. And it, it's crazy because it actually it does again reminds me of Mahal and Drive uh, and the sex scene in that movie. I think you know we we talked about when we covered that movie how how horny Mahal and Drive is, and this mm-hmm. movie it has horniness in it, but it's a uh, it, it, like you said it is played for it for a, a purpose and an aesthetic value. Uh, and there's something and interesting she, too. Her what? like seduction manner isn't necessarily like Marilyn Monroe's sexiness. Like she's yeah. kind of cold and matter of fact. And I, I think it's interesting that, like, the one time she, like, kind of, like, shows off, like, the camera pans across her legs, 
it it feels like it's intended to be sexual like from the camera's perspective but it's just to show the scars yeah. on her legs mm-hmm. and to set that up and so it's something interesting to me is it's a, a subversive of like that trope of male gaze like camera sweep um mm-hmm. and intentional about that because i was like oh they're just gonna show us like cooch aren't they like is that where this is going and then it settled on something else and really like underplayed some of that so she we never like we never really see her naked and it's only when she wants us to even us the audience and in a way too it almost kind of it kind of mirrors the you know the plot of the movie of like it's almost as if the camera is drawing you in the way asami is drawing in you know aoyama the camera draws you in to think that you're going to get this payoff in a regular sex scene that like you would in a in another titillating you know horror movie Mm -hmm. um but that it does it it, it pulls the catch one you know the reversal on you uh, as an audience member the way uh, i kind of frame that scene because it's immediately followed by her uh demanding not demanding but like asking that he prove that he will only love her. Right? That's the that's the key line. You will and love me and no one else. He is in this setting where I think we're led to believe, right? He's been alone, loveless since his wife died. He's in the place him and his wife used to go visit. Now there's a new naked woman in his bed. So like him being apprehensive to like just jump right in, mm-hmm. I think gives him a little bit more depth because he probably hasn't fucked mm-hmm. in 10 years and the last was his wife yeah in maybe that place yeah you know like and then i think that's the, some of the interviews interviews and reviews i've where people are taking having their own take on this that Mike probably doesn't even agree with um but him saying then that yes i'll only love you and he like agrees to that but just mm-hmm. very subtly he like nods like yeah i think she knows he still loves his wife. Yeah. Right. Cause he is hesitant. So that's part of her, like, cause then later on she punishes him for that. Right. For, yeah. For lying. I knew you were her. lying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's I, very nuanced, but like after I read a little bit more and got some more context, I was like, I think there's a lot more going on here. They, this is the moment too, where, so the possessiveness of that character and they're kind of introducing like the psychotic, you know, sort of narcissism of her and where, and we, we kind of learn more about it in the next sort of like montages and the dream sequence that occurs later. Um, but there's that other movie. I think I brought this movie up a couple times before, but, um, and it's on HBO. It's a, um, it's a black and white, like fifty minute long movie called uh, "Eyes of My Mother." Um, I think I, mm, I might have you told, have brought it up, I, but yeah, I haven't seen it. That movie is a both in its content uh, and its main character are it, that. If there is a d- direct adaptation of this uh, Japanese movie, that one is is one, a close one, um, mm. where it has a main character who has a similar sort of track where um, this this family this portuguese family moves to america and uh, the mother is like a surgeon or a doctor um, and she educates her young daughter on uh like surgery and biology by doing surgery on the the farm animals that they have um and her daughter acquires this very early fascination with like bio like surgery and doing and experimenting on animals anatomy anatomy and yeah and the daughter uh so the family experiences like a very traumatic event uh when the daughter is young and then it kind of like scars her for the rest of her life um and then she goes on to basically uh have a a revenge arc that mirrors something like this and the other there is a um a uh 
a disfigured prisoner in that movie as well that is very close to the thing that to we her see in this movie. Prisoner. It's, yeah, and that is the thing about like that is obviously the most horrific part of this movie. Um, and we can well, there's like one segment here that we can talk about before we get to the ending. I think because um, between here, so this sex scene being like the the, the hard nut of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he jizzes all over the middle of the movie, uh, and uh, it immediately cuts to him being alone in his his. Uh, hotel room and he gets a call from the front desk person who says that Asami is left um, he didn't know if they were staying are you okay is everything alright um, he also seems like weirdly like disoriented too like it's like almost like, like he's already been drugged mm-hmm. at that point he's in pain and like yeah. doubled over and can't get out of bed yeah he doesn't know what's going on uh, and so at this moment in the movie the worst thing that Aoyama has experienced is heartbreak <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. it's almost kind of tragic he goes back to Yoshikawa and says I can't find her I can't get in contact with her she's not answering her phone I never went to her house so I don't know where she lives um, and he's like can you give me something anything like you've got to have like you know references or something for her and he's like I checked it out man and unfortunately there's no more information I got her mm-hmm. CV and that's all yeah. Um, and he's like that's probably good yeah but maybe it's a sign bro it's like, like hey <laughs> it's like this is your out like, yeah <laughs> take this as an opportunity to leave which to be fair though i do feel like if he hadn't have continued pursuing her um trying to like going to the ballet academy going to like the bar where she's supposed to have worked and mm-hmm. like going to all those spots do you think she still would have i think she would have come come around she would have like yeah. come and found him and, mm-hmm. and still killed him yeah, that's but what I it think does, too. It does bring up something too. Is she waits for him to call her? So yeah. the question is: Is she playing a game, or is or is her whole mind wrapped around like he has to come find her? Like, you know what I mean? What are the elements? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I, I think she's. It's all a game because she yeah. smiles so fucking wickedly every time he calls that phone. Yeah, you know that nice little. That's uh, so spooky. Yeah, but it's... <laughs> the, it adds more is like the the longer because she ghosts him and that prompts him to then re, like look into her past and there's so many red flags when he starts yeah. doing that that like mm. that is a big old like run sign. So why would she let like logistically why would she let him do something like that when that was her goal all along? You know, it's like why let him in, like figure out what's wrong with her? Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. Is like is was that intentional? Like did she? Because, I mean, she included that information in the letter and the CV that she gave. So she had to know, like, she was giving this false information or at least references to the things that, you know, about her past that are half-truths. Like, she gave him hints, yeah, right? Like the, the ballet only academy. things that he knew about her, mm-hmm. the ballet academy and, and the, bar. The, the bar, yeah, which is, you know, where basically led him back to her Mm -hmm. and those are real places that existed that she knew he had the ability to go visit yeah and And that was the only context he was given so he had to go there yeah um the ballet academy scene with this old dude this is also where i still think you know mystery wise you're still on the thread for being like wait so maybe this is the antagonist maybe maybe aoyama has to fight against this creepy old the abuser yeah that made her the the way that she is yeah he's like the puppeteer behind the scenes that's uh that's doing everything because this dude is creepy the old Mm -hmm. man the old uh the uncle right who we learn later weird little feet yeah he's got (laughs) prosthetic feet they're prosthetic feet i think so but they look like little monster feet yeah they're more like ornamental prosthetics yeah Yeah. they're like little like yeah stumpy ewok feet kind of looking things it's almost Uh, like uh the happy gilmore hand oh oh. that's like what it looks like Like, you could have carved it a little bit better they made it look like a real toe yeah they look like they look ed gein in nature for sure they look like like they were made out of somebody else's tanned skin or mm -hmm. something i should have poured a shot i feel like i should take a shot every time you mention ed gein (laughs) (laughs) it's been a while rest in peace daniel come on it's uh i haven't talked about ed gein i haven't talked about ed gein since 
I probably did talk about Ed Gein. Well, we just like... did zombies, so that's very little to do that's with true. Ed Gein. Yeah, there wasn't I as bet much you Ed Gein he'll in come that back series. Around. He'll come back around. I don't know. We're doing old the next Gini. series. Old Gein. <laughs> the the, the Gein of the bottle. Who <laughs> let Gein out of the bottle? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> You're, oh, no, you got to rub s- me the right way. S- oh, you know? stop it. <laughs> You know what that lamp is going to be made out of, too, though. So it's a uh. it's jizzing all over the middle of this podcast. Yeah, but yeah, it, there's his his weird prosthetic feet are Ed Gein in nature. They're they're gross looking, and he 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 runs at him with the hot poker too, because he also just apparently always has like a like a little trash can full of hot pokers, a little uh, burn barrel, yeah. with some sticks in it, yeah, just in case you know you need to do some some light torture. Um, he goes there, then he goes to the bar that he's supposed to have worked at. A random passerby tells him a gruesome story about mm-hmm. uh, the owner of the bar being murdered and there being extra body parts. Uh, they Apparently, in the murder scene, the, they, the authorities showed up and the person had been dismembered uh, unrecognizably. But in the dismembered body parts, they found an additional three fingers, an additional tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and an ear. And an ear that, you know, there, if there's one person who died, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be all this stuff here, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that kind of like lays the groundwork for what we'll find later. Um, and then what proceeds after that is the, so this is where they get right into the dream sequence essentially, right? Uh, where we're getting cutbacks to, or no, he goes home first. Um, and we get mm-hmm. the sort of Raimi cam version of what presumably her Asami going into his house and like poisoning the whiskey. Uh, mm-hmm. and then seeing that he still has a picture of his wife yeah. and then poison Cause again, he lied to her. Yeah. Um, um and then, so Aoyama's son has, is staying with somebody for the weekend or for the night, and so Aoyama is at home by himself. Uh, he drinks some of the whiskey and then quickly collapses. And then mm-hmm. we get our our crazy dream sequence of yeah. retelling of events from earlier in the movie when he was going on his first dates with Asami, um, and we get and more information framed framed to include more about her past that yeah. she was hinting at earlier. Right? Yeah. Now this almost felt possession esque. Right. This is that's kind of how I felt about it the first time I watched through. Right. Mm-hmm. So he she goes he goes to the bar, and he has that vision right of like the tongue flopping around on the ground and the blood. It's not actually there. He's not actually seeing that. That's what I want to hear both y'all's interpretation of like what then, these this sequence of events means when he's drugged. Right. This fever dream is her like showing him all the worst things about her and why she has become this monster, right? Right. And it almost feels like he's being possessed by her, the demon, right? Interesting. That's, that's how I Yeah, like she's it. an Oni who is like taking hold of him at this point. Yeah, and that's how I viewed it. Because she already has complete control yeah. of him, right? It's almost, it's very succubus-esque. Uh-huh. Um, that's how I took it. It just made the most sense in my brain to yeah, think about it that way. I guess there's another, I don't know, what do you, like, literally, what do you think is happening in this moment of the movie, Daniel? So, you know, I think that, um, I want to go on record that, uh... Fuck, I'm the only one with a drink here. <laughs> here, give me a drink of yours. Mm-hmm. I'll have a beer after this, in your honor. Uh, <laughs> I think that he's been handed all the clues, and... it's like they say that like in your dreams like sleep helps you draw connections and helps you process things and so part of me believes yeah part of me believes that this dream sequence was both kind of like a an easy way for Mike to like you know convey more information to start connecting some dots but also that like by the time he wakes up the jig is gonna be up like we we know she's poisoned the whiskey we know what we kind of know like what she's up to 
And so mm-hmm. in my mind, he's been handed all the clues, and in his, this is a kind of a dream sequence for him to piece it together. But the dream doesn't stop there. I mean, he uh, it's his dream. And so he meets his wife, who tells him not to marry her. And then his assistant mm-hmm. literally says, why did you sleep with me? And he says it was one time. And then there's the teenage girl his son is courting. Is like, she's, because uh, someone to tries him. to... Yeah, and it's it, like he looks down and it's a teenage girl and he's like shocked. But there's so much about this that is like confronting him with his with his like immoral behavior, yeah. like yeah, bleeding in this while also telling the like like watch out, this woman has done some fucked up things or that like there's it's pretty clear that something's wrong. This yeah, so the scene does two things. It it the the main the ending the later end of the scene is laying out all of his sins and basically like forcing him to come to terms with them and face them. Um, but the to beginning, come. yeah, <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to make him come to they're terms. Trying to, they're trying to, to terms. make him. Yes. Come to, to terms, terms. Uh, with, God damn it. Uh, but the whole, the whole first part of that scene though. So like, this is what I, I wondered if this is a possibility of what literally happened too, where it's like, we're flashing back to uh, the first time they go out for drinks, they have beers. Right. And then another time they go out to dinner. Um, and earlier in the movie, those two sequences kind of like blend, blend into each other very smoothly where it's like, she's laying it on thick, telling him I've never had a friend or I've never been able to talk to anybody like this. I have nobody mm. else in my life to like, like you know, I was share just with. waiting for you to call. I was, yeah. I never felt like this before. And then at dinner too, it's like, she's sharing with him being like, I'm so happy that you called me back. I'm so happy to spend time with you kind of thing. And so it's almost like in those moments, we're seeing the ideal version of what Aoyama's interpretation of the events were. And this sequence happens, bringing us back to those moments earlier. Um, because there's a moment when they first get drinks, whenever she's sort of like telling him <clears throat> about how losing her ability to dance was like dying and everybody else in the bar disappears. Disappears for like a, just a few seconds as if they tell the next scene. Yeah. It's yeah. a, well, or it, well, I thought almost as if they'd been there for like hours talking and now everybody mm. else is left or something. But then we cut back to the sequence in this dream sequence or whatever's happening right here. And we get the full exposition of her relationship with, you know, her, 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 uh, her parents splitting up and she's being sent to live with her aunt and uncle and her uncle is super abusive mm. um, and he's forcing her to dance and dance is the only way she can you know she feels like she can sweat out her pain and like you know work through it or whatever um, but in those moments as she's laying out that exposition we're here in the same sequence we're sitting at the bar getting drinks and it's almost like or we're sitting at the dinner table and I wondered if what we're saying there is that like this this conversation all actually happened earlier on and he just like ignored it because he was that's so what i'm saying smitten. i've been he saying idea- that like, he, he idealized he, it this is the thing is it's it's another example of like the kind of like sexist perspective is like she trauma dumps and then he's like yeah yeah, yeah that's cool but also like let yeah, me tell you about cute, me though. yeah because he glazes yeah. over he glazes over her problems he's like i think you'll learn that life is actually beautiful like mm. you know it just basically is like yeah I know have you, you tried just being happy have you tried just not being bummed out about that shit that happened to you like i mean get over it you're really hot Look at, <laughs> we're having this nice dinner exactly. right and she says all i have to do is chat and eat nice food with you and he's like yeah yeah and that's all he heard for the whole exactly. the whole dinner yeah that. well that's why i say he's been given all the clues like, yeah he's this is another thing, and I could go on the, about this for, like, hours, but I will say the majority of this movie is about, like, perspective and about POV, yeah. is we experience both time and camera. Like, we experience time in the edit, the way that they cut things, uh, by the way that humans experience time. Not necessarily by, like, linear narrative storytelling, but we also, uh, like, 
so much of this is about how we're seeing what he experienced and his experience of these dinners was like the fun parts and he just completely ignored the trauma dumps and by the time he has this dream sequence it's like oh buddy you you should have known the you red flags were there deep. wait yeah <laughs> yeah and so that's why i say like he's been given all the clues it's just that his perspective which we as an audience member have participated in leads him to never pay attention all we get as an audience is like subtle extra stuff to kind of let us know that she is not there's something really wrong here but if we were to cut out all that and literally only show the movie from his perspective it would be extremely confusing and misleading not only because (laughs) she just seems super nice but also because like he you know what i mean like He's the one who's just utterly bereft that he doesn't that she wouldn't just like do anything and everything with him. And now yeah. when when all this is coming together in his dreams, it's like, oh no, the signs were there. And then let me just yeah. viscerally show you why she is kind of dangerous. And we get one yeah. of the like most disgusting scenes, most like world renowned disgusting scenes in cinema. Well, are we talking about our piano wire scene first? I mean, no, it's all we're talking about the dog bowl scene. Oh no! Well, yeah. first let's not, let's not gloss over That's the, in the dream. Wire scene, though. Yeah, I know. It's uh, the the dog bowl scene happens. I think he's he's already conscious afterward. Like that's kind of like it's like it's like the whole. So like we get the flashbacks to her. But that's in her apartment, though, right? Yeah. So yeah, I don't think he's conscious yet. Yeah. It's because he wakes dream. up. He he passes. Out, he gets oh, drugged he's in home. his house. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. part of the dream. Yeah. Because the other the other big one that I that I think is one of the most it's 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 weirdly beautiful but it happens in this sequence too um when we're getting the montage of like her talking about her uncle who used to abuse her right um we get the very unsettling uh image like with an actual like little girl actor who like and then the guy approaching with a hot poker like Mm. between her legs essentially um and then but the 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 beheading of the uncle too where Mm. she slowly walks up behind him wraps the 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 piano wire around while he's just smiling he's just smiling playing piano and Mm. then does the like it's so slow now i will drawn out i do want to say that i believe was not piano wire no it's at the hospital like yeah it's a jiggly saw okay so it is it is a saw made specifically for amputations do you have to use a moonstone Um, to make it evolve into a wiggly into a wiggly saw yeah It's G G I G L I, I think is how they. That's really it. what it's called. Yeah, is it because we have it, them at the hospital. Is it like, like a Japanese wait, tool? Or? You guys have a gigolo saw. A gigolo saw. Yeah, deuce bigolo saw. Deuce bigolo. Yeah. <laughs> but it, that is exactly saw. it. It has the handles at the end, uh-huh. so you can put <sighs> tension. Um, and those all those links are you know coated with some sort of carbide or like diamond dust, so uh-huh. that it is extremely sharp. sharp. Yeah, and that's why they can take a leg off in like. A couple minutes if they have to. That's what it's for. Um, basically, yeah, just a flash. When I go to work tomorrow, I'll take a picture of one and I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay, put it in the Discord <laughs> after put it's it used. Discord. I'll, take it. <laughs> I'll send it to the Discord. Put it in the Discord, and it'll it'll have the name on the packaging. Say Jiggly Saw. Oh, Rob Rob Schneider's <laughs> Jiggly Saw. <laughs> what, ter- what a terrifying <laughs> instrument with an adorable name. Yeah, Jiggly. Is it, so it's it's just for like flash amputations. If something is like if like somebody has like a necrotic limb or something. Or yeah, like, and it, it's. I mean, there is we don't really use them as much anymore because there's better now there's like right. you know Life surgical savers. saws yeah. and you know more advanced stuff but we still do keep them there because for certain wait did travis just say lightsabers yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah we got lasers at the, the hospital too man just with mm-hmm. there's a this whole kyber is... crystal reservoir mm-hmm. i honestly have been waiting uh at least a full year and a half for this exact conversation with you tyler just so we're clear 
Awesome. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, hey, I know what that is. Uh, this she, is what I'm going to be able to talk about, this one thing in this movie. Because she also has, like, I mean, she has, like, a doctor's bag full of tools that she whips out later, too. Mm-hmm. Like, and she has... She's got, man, like, a I nice love doctor's kit, too. It's yeah, like a yeah. leather kit. And her ape, I love her doctor. I love her torture Ooh. outfit. Actually, yeah. it's it's kind of slaps. Like it's a good Halloween costume yeah. option right there. It's a good Just Halloween having that costume. leather apron with like the black leather gloves. It's basically like hot, le- like hot leather face. Like it's yeah. like sexy leather face. You know, mm. she's got like a black apron, black leather gloves, a very leather nice face looking slash gimp suit. Yeah, like <laughs> in yeah. between somewhere. It's I don't know. It is. It's a thing. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, We hope you guys are enjoying the episode. And if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you think we should watch or comments about the episodes, please email me at scarysundayscaries at gmail.com. We love hearing back from you guys, and we look forward to it. Thanks. Yeah, so the dog bowl scene. Do you want to lead us down the dog bowl scene path? You know what? This was the scene when I was in high school. They were like, yeah, and then this happens. And I was like, shut the fuck up. No way. There's no way you can put that on TV. That's where I draw the fucking line. Yeah, absolutely not. um, This is part of the dream sequence, uh, but the entire movie, there's a burlap sack. A massive, like human-sized burlap sack. Wink, wink. um, In the background of her at her apartment. And at one point, it just like freaking moves. So we're in his dreams in her apartment and he sees the burlap sack and like it kind of like opens wide for him and a man crawls out and a man who just happens to be missing three fingers, one ear and a tongue crawls out and and both feet. feet. Yeah. Yeah, Crawls out of the burlap sack, dirty and disgusting and unable to talk, but like moaning. So it's just like tongueless moaning. I'm sure that just created a shudder in everyone who listens. Yeah, I got um, it. Reminded me hear... of Tusk. Ugh. Yeah, like after well, the, where he just like Tusk's... wails for the rest of the movie. This is essentially Tusk gets that idea from audition, right? Like we're yeah, here yeah, yeah, in yeah, Genesis. Yeah. But our protagonist Aoyama hears retching in the background, and before the camera, because we don't see a lot of the more grotesque elements happen, um, unless like there's like one or two big moments. But this is one we we hear retching and turns around, and she has a dented like tin dog bowl definitely full of her own vomit that she mm-hmm. then sets on the floor and this no feet bound man with like eight fingers seven fingers laps it up like a dog in front of her like it takes the second Except to he pause can't lap it yeah it, he just kind of gums it. it on down yeah <laughs> Well, I remember watching it and definitely seeing his tongue and being like, ah, there it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is in like the goofs on IMDb. The illusion is broken. Yeah. Yeah. But I would rather, I would prefer the illusion be broken because the scene plays as she forces a man that she has amputated several fingers and ear, etc., and a tongue to then like eat her own vomit out of a dog bowl. Um, which is like that. They told me that. And at 17 years old, I was like, no, absolutely not. No fucking way. <laughs> Do you think that the feet that came from that guy are what they turned into the prosthetic feet for the uncle? Wasn't the no. uncle crippled Already? long before, though? Like, oh, when okay. she was a child? No. Yeah. No, because he's on, he's on his knees when he burns her as a child. So he's, like, crawling on hands and knees to burn her um, when he does he that. Do yeah, that so he feet. was crippled, right? I think she it's says unclear. in the conversation that he was... Cr- she Her stepfather was disabled right and her and that made him his, bitter or yeah. something like that right right right, right. right. well and that adds so up he just had i made a mental note of it 
is like she kind of says she overtly tells him her main abuser was his wife, like her aunt or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you, know, you find it interesting like, that they don't show her. Like they they only show the uncle, even though she yeah she says she was like abused by the by the aunt well, mostly. I, there's so much about this movie that is like generous towards for a yeah. movie that like you know has a whole lot of like you know good for her moments. There's still a lot like <laughs> aesthetically and intentionally it's so generous towards all the female characters and like the right. way that it portrays them it, it, uh, it omits the uh, the aunt almost as if to say like the uncle really is the the like the onus the arbiter of all of this he's like right. the real reason any of them were abusive and so like you know this movie's content to lay the blame squarely at the feet of any man like all the way mm-hmm. from this weird but- uncle to the to the protagonist to even the protagonist's son who is like mm-hmm. kind of trying to get laid like Let's wall get dinosaurs, wink, wink, and his yeah. dad's I like, I'm just that. gonna leave he the house dinosaurs. for several kid, hours. He is so a dinosaur much. kid, and yeah. I love it. I that I but, empathize so hard with this kid. But he just they, wants like, to hang okay, out and watch dinosaurs. Finds, man. He finds this no, chick that no, loves dinosaurs no, too. No, 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 uh-uh, no, 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 uh-uh, <laughs> no way. This kid. The, the, the uh, one of the themes is the tragedy of the father son dynamic is how sexism gets passed on, and this yeah, kid literally yeah. tells his dad, "If you hire someone, make sure she cooks better than our housekeeper." Yeah, he's a real <laughs> little twat. He's a, he's definitely but, a four chan user or something. But he's like young enough to be innocent. Like the way yeah. he, the son interacts with the with his, the other girl, his crush, like very innocently. They're not like he's not like trying to cop a feel or be a douche. But the point of the movie explains that sexism is passed on from father yeah. to son because the father gives him like big like thumbs up good job son I'm gonna wink wink leave the house for a couple hours right uh, you two kids have fun like also your the, like, your teenage girlfriend buddy. is hot good job yeah oh yeah. yeah and the son is like totally okay with the age gap when his dad brings up like oh she's you know whatever age old and he's like oh she's almost my age like good for you dad you found somebody that like yeah i bet she's i bet she's really pretty <laughs> oh, my God, which so he says in the in the very beginning when they're discussing this audition scene which i think is arguably the real horror like one of those like deep horror moments is when his friend and him are discussing what they want in a woman in an audition. It's they very lay like out toy box like killer this, kind of thing. Yeah. It's the sexism manifesto is like, yeah. we need a woman who cooks, who cleans, who is pretty, but not too pretty. We want to make sure she's not like successful, like too successful. Yeah. Cause then she'll have she her own She can't agency. be the one that would actually get the role in the movie. Yeah. Cause that right. would mean she's confident. He literally says, that. He literally says, we want her to be someone you'd be happy with your son going out with. It was like, (laughs) you want to date somebody that your son may later date. It's like, you and your son should be Eskimo bros, is the deepest uh, implication of that. Hashtag White Lotus. Um, uh, Yeah. It's funny because that whole segment is actually, it's like word for word from the book. They do go into like great pains to, yeah, to show them like treating like... Their their idealization of the situation is is you know these people are objects and aren't going to be like they're they're well, boiled down the to their various qualities or whatever. The movie's called the audition, right? So mm-hmm. like the centerpiece, the whole like ideological like you know heft of this is behind the audition itself and like the imbalance of power. Like women have to impress the men. The men have like a laundry list of skills that have to like they have to meet this criteria, and they get to ask them any question they want, and the women just have to answer. Or else they're not going to get the role. You know what I mean? It's like by and naming to circle it back the audition, to it, talking about 
yeah like, deep the whole horror. thing like, is that the whole audition yeah. sequence is the the deep horror of it it is like the unsettling like i said i think that's why silence of the lambs comes to mind because it is that thing where it's like you just see their their wallish faces staring at this this like flow steady stream of women coming through and you know performing in front of them attempting to please and please and you know satisfy their you know I'm going to bring it all full circle for you with two beats. One, in the fishing scene, the son is very happy that he gets a fish. Like, foreshadowing, right? Correct. He gets a small fish. Dad goes for the big fish. Two, none of this movie would have happened if the son hadn't said, you should get married. Yeah. Fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the son's fault. Dad would have just died alone. And that's why he's forced to save the day at the end of the movie. But he loses his dog in the process. God. And the dog is a dude. Like, think about the layers of this. Like, it's it's such a bachelor pad that even the dog is a guy. You know the Gangu. Gang, so the name of the dog Gangu. in the movie is Gangu. You know what his name is in the book? What? Gangsta. <laughs> it lit, it's literally G A. It's spelled G A. This the G A N G S T A, which probably means something else in Japanese. But it's like it, it's just funny to me because the dog's name mm. is Gangsta. Who? The movie. There's a dead dog in this movie. It's a bummer. You never yeah. want to see that. It's always <laughs> even, in, there. even in a horror movie, right? There, like, there's just I, some things yeah. that I like, just saw a meme on Instagram the other day that it, you know it's one of those like guys holding a sign on the street, and it says, "If the dog dies, I'm not fucking watching it." Yeah, and I, that immediately came to mind as soon as that scene happened. I was so, like, "Damn it!" So we're into the main torture sequence scene. We can we can tail off by talking about this. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, he wakes up from his drug induced coma. Exactly right, right. from and his he, fever dream. Yeah, he sees Asami through the doorway. She's suiting up, uh, gowning she, and gloving. Yes, uh, she's and that's, going and full that's, Dexter. That's the iconic. That's the the poster, right? The the screen cap for the poster is her standing with like the, the syringe, syringe, right? And it is of the it's kind of hot, agent. but it's also yeah. very scary. Uh, but this is this is like the problem with marketing too, right? Is it, just by looking at the DVD cover, you know, like and they kind of give it away, like, don't they? It's in the yeah. horror yeah. section, right? Like no one can go into this movie thinking like, oh, I hope she's just gonna like break his heart. <laughs> yeah, you know. I'm sure they all learn a lot by the end of this movie. Uh, it's just interesting to me that the way they choose to introduce people to this movie, right? Like cover art, you know, word of mouth, etc., is all about the ending. So it's really like a tragedy, as you know from the very beginning, even vaguely, that like they're heading towards this terrible fucking yeah. ending of like torturous violence. Like you know mm-hmm. something's so, like, gonna, we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We know something horrible is going to happen just based on right. that, that poster. And, um, you know, by tragic laws, like, these characters have to fall underneath their own, like, ideology. So, like, you know, there's a broader implication that, like, this movie's about how, like, sexism set them set all of this in motion and then ended up getting their fucking legs cut off. Yeah. <laughs> and their dog killed. The, uh, and the dog yeah, so killed. The, the sequence of events is, like, he wakes up, the dog has already been killed, right? And then mm-hmm. she proceeds to basically take, like, she, she first injects his tongue, right, with, uh, like, the syringe. And it's another paralytic or something, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, not a, it's some drug that they made up. For yeah, the, for Tyler this, explained it. It's not a real... <laughs> basically, what she describes it as, it's going to paralyze you, So, but you're going to feel... like It's going to amplify your, your nerves. nerves so you feel all of the pain yeah, you that you're pain paralyzed. And I don't think that's really like a real thing, but the for thing- the purposes of this... It works perfectly. Yeah. The only thing it made me think of is like uh, when I heard about um, you listen to podcast series or read about the um, 
the way we administer lethal injections, right? And how the cocktail mm-hmm. is a very specific like sequence of the to first... deaden certain sensations, in, right? In a but, specific order. But the unfortunate th- reality is that medical professionals by the Hippocratic Oath are not allowed to administer drugs that kill people, right? Mm -hmm. So the people that usually administer the lethal injections are either like COs, if not other inmates, Mm -hmm. um, who's just get hired for that job, right? And so the failure rate with lethal injections is higher than any other form of execution that we've had in history. Um, It's uh, the noose, very effective. And it turns out Firing squad, hundred percent effective. Never had a mm-hmm. failure rate with a hundred. Bring, bring the guillotine back. Bring the right? guillotine back. It I've works got every one. Time. Yeah, um, Jeff Bezos. The yeah. uh, the but the the whole that's that's what it reminded me of is the idea that like in some of the botched lethal injections that people will be the like the paralyzing drug works, but they don't get knocked out. They don't get like anesthetized mm-hmm. so that they are still conscious when they feel the actual final lethal injection, which apparently feels like all of your veins burning from the inside out or something. Mm-hmm. And you're but slowly losing a respiratory drive too. So you're, you're suffocating. You're, yeah. But you're completely You awake can't move. And the yeah, entire time. yeah, that's, that's what it made me think of, which is, it's one of my, I don't know if we, I, t- I asked somebody the other day, like we were, uh, I guess a fun thing to talk about is like, what's your worst fear all the time. Right. And that's yeah, great. Yeah. And I was talking about for me, movies like this and of this subgenre, I think are the one sort of corner of like the specific corner of horror that I think always unsettles me the most when it comes to like body horror or like you know torture porn kind of gore like this because of I've, I've had a lot of like surgeries in my life too like dental and various other ones and so like so there's something about these that sort of like hit home a little bit too much because they're too visceral and real but mm-hmm. that sensation and the idea of medically or chemically being tortured or subdued is horrifying and Mm -hmm. the way they portray it in the in the book and and in the movie is is very very unsettling because the idea is that this man is rigidly on the ground and she is then injecting him with things that make him unable to speak or move um, but he can still feel everything as she then takes uh, acupuncture needles and starts inserting them into his into belly his abdomen kitty, 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 yep. kitty 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 is i will never i will never hear that noise the same way again when i see a cat it's i'm it's like this, like delightful, like in the context, it's, it's ridiculous. cute. It's like this it delightful Asian woman, like <laughs> trying to like gently make the needles go deeper. And so she keeps saying "kiri," which is like I guess the word for deeper. But deeper? she says it in her yeah. like high pitched, cute voice, like "kitty, kitty, 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 kitty." <laughs> and from what I read in some interviews, that was not written into the dialogue. But when the actress who I forget her name. And I would do a disservice. Ailey Sheena. Ailey Sheena. Um, was like whispering that to herself while they were doing the scene. And Mike was like, that's fucked up. Keep do it, do it. it for real. <laughs> do it for real. And he was like losing his shit during the scene. He thought it was fucking the best thing ever. So then they made her do it and like, you know, got the shot of her like full frontal face while she's saying that. Um, and that's the most disturbing part of the whole scene. Yeah, it's it's wild. She makes her way up to his like neck and face and gets the needles underneath his like eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see our our, our uh, jiggly saw come back, uh, and she proceeds to remove both of his feet from the, or well, at least one of them, right Left from the foot. ankle down. And then the son walks in yeah. while she's doing the right foot. Right, uh, son to the rescue, I guess. Uh, she chases him up the stairs, and he just kind of she, she's she's attempting to mace him or spray him, or maybe with some, some sort of like chloroform yeah. type of agent. Yeah, um, but he makes up the stairs, kicks her down the stairs, eats her, he eats her, big down, kick, eats her down like, the stairs. She doesn't touch a single Take a shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's that's Tyler's trigger is yeet. Uh, yeah, you get yeah. yeeted. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, she gets yeeted. yeeted down the stairs. Uh, and the the final moment, like her final moments too, are. It, it, it is yeah so the i guess she it's, gets it's her him neck hallucinating broken. it's yeah. ugly yeah it's actually disgusting like it, it like bulges off the side yeah. of her it's like not bloody it's just broken that's yeah. always good the practical effects of that was like pretty unsettling for me that's it was always very such well a good done. makeup choice because it, it's actually it's not a hard thing to do but it's mm. like the idea of having a bone jutting from inside somebody's body i um, mean you just put some latex over another you know stiff object right and yeah. it's pretty easy to pull off but so effective and then it, you can see her like labored breathing too mm-hmm. like trying to to keep breathing to stay alive and yeah. it's like buckling under that <laughs> muscular like pressure of trying to take a breath yeah Oof. Ugh, it's not really Ooh. okay not I, really. I have two medical questions I have two medical questions, oh, no. Tyler. One, uh, we'll start with the obvious. She jiggly saws his left foot off, right? We mentioned that. Mm-hmm. But there is, like, no effort made to stem the blood. So follow up here. Give me, like, play-by-play. Wouldn't he die? Like, wouldn't he just bleed out pretty quickly? That's like a gaping open wound. If you don't get a tourniquet, I assume so, that, right? She did put that, like, collar thing above where she cut, though. Right. right, and you could see her like tightening it down. Yeah, so she on was both of the feet. A so I think there, there to... was some sort of tourniquet. It looked like a leather slash metal collar thing, and it had like when she pulled it out, it had like a little handle, mm-hmm. which could be some sort of like rudimentary tourniquet. Yeah, it's like a hand it crank thing. Um, so okay. I think he. I mean, it's realistic to believe he would still be alive. During yeah, that. and wouldn't. I guess because maybe her intention too was, you know, given what we She's saw prisoner, earlier, is right? the idea that she wasn't trying to kill him. She was trying to keep him alive for as long as possible, probably. Right. And the um, right. the wounds on her previous prisoner are surgically repaired. When mm-hmm. he opens his mouth and his tongue's missing, you can see the suture mm-hmm. from like where she cut the tongue out. Mm-hmm. And on the nubs of his feet, you can see the surgical like the suture line that she had closed it up. Yeah. So I think her intention was that's to... what, what, the, what was in the rest of the surgical bag, right? Yeah. Was the rest of the tools to finish right. the job. Yeah. Right. Uh, she so just couldn't get there because she got yeeted. Like... <laughs> yeah. So when she's yeeted, <laughs> is it, it looks like her collarbone and like her, like the, the kind of like shoulder complex up into her neck get like dislocated really badly. But I, unless you like really fucking snap your entire neck, when you survive something like that, I would assume because it seems like she is paralyzed like, from the neck down like is, at that point, right? Hmm. She can't. Is she Im- can speak, she but she's. Is it can't. implied like her windpipe is broken or something? Or that's kind of what it seemed like too. Yeah. Like it's affecting her trachea because every time she goes to take a breath, it like buckles. You know. <sighs> um, also, depending on what nerves you sever, you may struggle to take a breath. Like. All of your automatic systems. Yeah, exactly. Or even, I mean, yeah, the non-intentional, like your um, sympathetic nervous system, or like thinking about it, actively trying to breathe, you may not be able to trigger that Mm. response. So... Or only partially, right? Which is why she's straining so much to even get a breath. That's something I always wonder is, like, the trope... Uh, how how realistic is the trope of neck breaking? Like, how much of a death sentence it, is, is it? Like, Because, would... like, I was playing Dying Light earlier, right? Yeah. And I, you sneak up and do a silent takedown. You stab my neck, and the guy is immediately dead. Does not speak. You're saying, no, you would probably fall to the floor because you'd lose control of your limbs. Mm-hmm. But you'd likely 
be screaming. Ugh. So it's not really a silent takedown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's how it always gets played off. I mean, that's how Henry Cavill killed Zod. I mean, yeah, it's just of, a quick snap. Yeah, and then it makes it seem so easy. They're completely dead. No, yeah. it, it wouldn't be immediate. I mean, yeah. They they train us. I'm a lifeguard, and they train us to deal with like these kinds of like neck injuries, like stabilize the head and neck, and then deal with like everything else. And the whole time yeah. you do it, like the goal is like the more you move that, the worse it's gonna get. So like you have to lock that thing in place and then deal with the mm-hmm. problem. Yeah, but that mm-hmm. like it implies that like if if you can stabilize them, you know, you're checking. We you check for motor function, you check like sensation, yeah. all that stuff all along the body. But it implies that like you know if they fuck their neck up. You, you, there's still a chance like that you could save their connection to like a, a few like one or two limbs or like you yeah, know it's not a foregone a, conclusion a paraplegic instead of a quadriplegic right. yeah 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 so huh. it's like it's not, not a foregone an immediate conclusion if you sentence. break your neck that you're either dead or like perfectly paralyzed you mean hmm. i could have been i could have been doing backflips this whole time without fear of dying yeah yeah. All right, I'm getting a trampoline. Perfect. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> I am the most accident prone member of our <laughs> podcast. Uh but yeah, so that's and that's kind of so uh she dies. Um <laughs> and she gives him a monologue as she's laying at the yeah. bottom of the stairs and he's bleeding out and the son comes over to help him, right? Yeah. Basically saying again like I only ever loved you, but you lied to me. You know, just like nailing the point Pretty home. toxic. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. There's a, she's there's, gaslighting. <laughs> there's a great beat where she actually says, she literally says she didn't get to be the protagonist of the film. She's like, oh, I didn't get to be the hero of the film. I got something better. And it's literally talking about, like, obviously the fake movie they made, but the movie itself, the audition, is told from the perspective of uh, the man. And so it's like this, like laughable, like last little joke about like how the woman, the, how this movie is about a woman's revenge, is still entirely centered around the man's perspective of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Um, but hey, like after I don't know. So having watched it for the first time and having talked about it now, how do you, how do we feel about this movie? I'm a big fan. I'll give it a nine out of ten personally. I yeah. Um, I think I gave it like a four out of five. Yeah, about eight, eight out of ten. It's like an aesthetic masterpiece worth writing essays about. I know because I did. Um, and there are like so many technical things happening in it that I'm like, holy shit, mm-hmm. this is operating on another level. That it's like comical to me that it's most known for its like most disgusting moments. Yeah. Which and in what... the end, at the end of the day, I actually wasn't as uh, freaked out by it. It was shot so well that he lets us mm-hmm. do all the work and like exactly. imagining yeah. some of this stuff. Yeah. A, f- a phrase that came up. <laughs> in one of the reviews that I read was that a lot of movies that followed this, that tried to emulate this, right? Tried to make shock value and just ended up with shock. And this is shock value with value. Um, Because the rest of the film is so beautiful. The characters are built so well that there's value to that shock, right? It's not just shock. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's interesting that you say, Daniel, like, you know, the, the movie being known for its most shocking movie, which is, it, it kind of seems is, is the tragic story of a lot of the most famous horror movies that we talk about. Like thinking back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for instance, right. When we talked about that one and we watched that movie and you realize like for, for all of the hype that Texas Chainsaw Massacre gets, it's a scary movie, but it's not as gory as you think. It, there's some gore and stuff that happens in there, but the majority of the movie is, is just a beautifully shot, you know, it, fascinating story and movie 
um, that has a really like some really graphic elements to it at, at certain points, but also you know like The Exorcist too, where it's like mm. these movies that become synonymous with um, you know the scariest movie of all time or being shorthand for you know the horror genre. The Exorcist has very deep philosophical questions that this main character is asking himself throughout the movie, and it peaks with a very you know an exciting scene of uh, of violence. But that also tends to seem it seems to be the pace for um, like Takashi Miike's films too, where you know this movie for the first 90 minutes of it it's it's a slow build-up and a love story that has dark undertones to it that just sort of escalates wildly at the end um 13 assassins is a, is structured the same way where the first 90 minutes of the movie is all a build-up to a final fight scene between 13 oh assassins and 200 men that ends with it's, a a blood jet into the air um and i think it's, you know when we covered hereditary you kind of get something similar where it's like hereditary's last 15 minutes are really where you know a lot of the the crazy shit happens and everything leading up to that yeah. point there is a, a peak moment in the middle of it in yeah. the beginning too but um so much of the actual violence or horror or gore is saved comes yeah well yeah but it's it's also built up by the more psychological yeah. like analysis of grief and loss mm-hmm. and in this case you know romance love loneliness isolation that's what makes those the culmination hit all that much harder. Yeah, because like yeah. I said, it's like there's a certain point in the movie directly after the love scene where you're like, oh, the worst thing that's happened to him so far is a heartbreak. And yeah. it's kind of tragic. It just like... it raises the stakes <laughs> yeah. by building all that up like that. Yeah, I don't know. But no, I, I love I, I love this. It was a really great movie to watch. I think like it's it's not an easy watch necessarily Like when you mm-hmm. can get, get all the way to the end. But, I'll uh, say I love this, but I don't know if I can watch this again. Yeah. Like, it's only going to get more tense for me for like anticipating some of the moments that really made me hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would like... I would love to watch it again with other people yeah. who haven't seen it and not let them <laughs> right. contextualize it first, not let them look it up. Like, find somebody that has never even fucking heard of it and watch it again with them without letting them do a deep dive first. I don't think this is a Courtney movie. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not at all. She, she was sitting in the living room for a, a little bit, like at the beginning of me watching it. And then she went and she was like doing some laundry showering and stuff like that. And she was about to come back out. And I was like, now's not a good time. You got <laughs> She's like, you, you give me another 20 minutes. Then you yeah. can come back out on the couch. And she was like, okay. Just went to the bedroom. I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. I'm, I'm just do. I'm looking out for you right now. Yo, I was just laughing because I saw this review on Letterboxd that said, I love watching people watch the audition as much as I love watching the audition. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. This is a good reaction movie for sure. Uh, but it's fun. No, I, I had a good time with this one. I I, I would will hi, would highly recommend it, and I think it deserves its place in the catalog of uh, of uh, horror, foreign cinema, and just movies in general. It's uh, it's beautifully made. One thing we didn't talk about was the uh, the music in this movie, the piano score that is mm-hmm. kind of the refrain throughout. Um, can be at times haunting, but other times like very beautiful. Uh, especially when yeah. they're playing the interactions between. Asami and Aoyama as romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, those scenes are, I mean... He literally says, you should marry a piano player. Like, yeah. in their opening it's, conversation, it's a, like, you should marry an theme. unsuccessful piano player. They're always hot. He kind of says, like, they're hot, a lot of them never succeed, and all of them will make great housewives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair point. Well, and then but it kind of culminates in the abuser, the stepfather, mm-hmm. being a pianist. Playing like, the piano. Playing piano yeah. in the studio when yeah. he walks in. Yeah. Um, 
It seems to be a yeah. Yeah, a theme in the background, mm-hmm. uh, both music. Also, and... kind of Lynchian vibes there. Yeah, um, with some of the like, especially in the beginning, it's a little more synth driven mm-hmm. like soundtrack, and then towards the end, it becomes a little more like acoustic piano, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's something that made me th- gave me Lynch vibes. Yeah, as well. Yeah, no, I dig it. Uh, I highly recommend watch the audition. Uh, yeah, maybe at least once. Yeah, at least once if you feel you can stomach it yeah uh, other than the audition have you guys been watching anything else lately go ahead daniel <laughs> no go you go now okay i just uh i finally got around to starting severance oh fuck yeah um so oh, i'm about nice. halfway through uh and i love it so remind me again did you finish the bear wait did you finish the bear yeah 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 we've all finished the bear do you want to do bear okay, cast in the last second? time i talked <laughs> the last time I talked to you, you had not. And so I was like, oh, motherfucker, finish the bear. I yeah, I think I was right after a uh, Christmas episode or something like that. Yeah, or I had to wait yeah, to finish yeah. it with Courtney and she was out of town. Yeah, because we did One of the Dead. And yeah, then, yeah, 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 we were like, everybody was in the middle of watching it. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm halfway halfway through Severance. It's on Apple that's Apple TV okay, Plus, yeah. which I didn't realize I had access to until like a few weeks ago. Oh, nice. I realized through our phone plan I have access to it so now i'm trying to catch up on everything on there oh, i want to start yeah. foundation too but um halfway through severance i love it so far very brooding hints of like that adam scott style comedy very dry but also sci-fi it's like all my favorite shit in one yeah um, i'd highly rec- well let me finish the, it the premise is i know everybody like recommends yeah it, the premise it? is like that's the one where they're going like it's a dystopian world where when they go to work they change minds essentially like they yeah. they don't remember their life outside of work their, while they're their at memory work and is, is location based right. so once they enter the building <clears throat> right they become a different version of themselves with separate isolated memories yeah uh, that they can't access outside of yeah the facility i love a commentary on the capitalist worker system it's a whole yeah, thing absolutely but, and so and escapism right my and, yeah yeah there's a lot of like grief isolation in mm-hmm. that too um it's great so far i'll finish it i don't hundreds thousands of people have recommended it already so if that even vaguely interests you you should definitely watch it yeah and you mentioned the foundation which i also do kind of want to check out for our, mm-hmm. our, our boy lee pace in there mm-hmm. uh playing yeah, some I love uh, good sci-fi yeah. you know I love, I love a good naked lee pace too that's a, that's a whole i thing. I, no I think lee pace is my other sexuality i think that's, that's the only person <laughs> yeah. i, I identify as, as lee, lee pace, pace sexual <laughs> he doesn't have a belly button in that movie because he's or in that show because he's a clone kyle xy yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> uh what else have you been watching daniel uh, three things. Um, I've been watching because the new season of Harley Quinn's going up on HBO every mm. every week. I love that cartoon show; it's hilarious, and it like it's so well written. Like if it's like if Community was R rated, I truly yeah. can't get over how like and how animated. much fun they mm. have with it. Um, mm. And it like people always roll their eyes if I mention cape cape stuff. And they're like, oh god, another Batman show, and I'm like, this is like the <laughs> show that people who hate superheroes should watch because all it does is make fun of, like, everything superhero. Superhero, supervillain, everything. Um, to great aplomb, too. Like, it's 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 got some mm. good emotional depths, but it's, like, definitely hitting some funny some funny commentary. Uh, so I'm watching that. Reservation Dogs is on its final season, uh, season three. They shot that out in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. It is, like, I'm telling you, it's, like, a hidden gem of a television show. I am shocked that more people haven't watched it. Um, yeah, I only FX ever watched just, like takes my money. Yeah, I watched season one right after it came out, mm-hmm. so I need to get back to that get too. Because um, I love season one. Is it ending? It's just are, so heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Do you? Is it? Is it? Is the show sort of doing a good like? 
the the problem with like long running series, right, is that sometimes they they wear out the story that they have, but the good choices sometimes are like ending the story on a good sort of concise arc, right? Do you feel like that's what it's doing? Like it's ending where it should and it needs to. Yeah, the 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 showrunner and all the writers and directors and stuff have all gone on record. Like this is we started this season planning to end it. Like we just yeah. knew mm-hmm. we don't. They they kind of say like we don't we never planned to do this forever, but we knew. When we started plotting this, we realized this is the end of the show. So it's like some kind of natural conclusion to what they started. Yeah. And it's angling on, like, finishing a lot of stuff. Um, you know, and season two was really fun. And season three, uh, like, both of them, they have these very serious and beautiful moments. Uh, but as far as, like, you know, you just want to get so much out of that. And, uh, like, deep emotional. I cry at least, like, once a season. There's some just, like horrifically sad scene mark maron was in last season and so mm-hmm. i'm excited season three is just going up piece by piece this most recent episode uh mainly told like it was almost full horror told a, a whole story uh, about like uh you know uh, indigenous people's like abduction and enforcement into uh like boarding schools um in all over like the americas mm-hmm. and told like a whole story from the perspective of us yeah yeah, told the whole story from the perspective of someone who survived that. Um, and so, like, this, it's just one of those shows. I love shows that are just not afraid to deviate. And, like, here's a side character. We're going to do a whole episode on, like, why they're so rich and interesting. Like, wink, wink, the bear, Richie, wink, wink. But, like, yeah. it, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, it, like, it, it's very heartfelt. Reservation Dogs. Right. Remind me again, uh, for uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, who all from Reservation Dogs is working on Killers of the Flower Moon? Is it do they share some actors, or is there is it producing and directing? Or uh, I mean, Scorsese directing, but is it also production or something? I don't. Uh, I need I'm to look into that more. I, I couldn't tell you, but um, yeah. they were the the two biggest productions in Oklahoma for the last three or four yeah. years. So um, I'm watching that, and then I'm we're watching Only Murders in the Building. Season three is going up once a week. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a freaking delight, man. Steve Martin, uh, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, like all three of them together, somehow make magic. It's hilarious. It's funny, and it's very heartfelt. And I I highly recommend no Only Murders in the Building. No more Nathan Lane though. Aww. He's not in season three, I think, right? Huh. No, I didn't. No, I, no. I only watched like a little bit of season one of that show. Yeah, yeah. I, we watched season two as well, but we're gonna catch up on season three. But I don't think I think uh, Nathan Lane's character is out of season three, right? Hmm. What we do in the shadows has a new season coming. Uh, that's Fuck out right now yeah, too. Man. It. It's it's so fucking awesome. I that show just doesn't miss, man. It's such a good. Uh, like the, I loved the movie with Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement and and everything, but. The, there's something about the the cast of characters for for the TV show just just goes. It's they've made it perfectly built. They've yeah. completely like taken over that entire like it's I don't know it it slaps every time and I love that they're doing week to week releases. It's a uh, it's great that and Futurama actually nice on Hulu. Treat. Yeah. I watched the first episode. I'm gonna let a few more come out before I try to binge it. It's so weird. It's it's so I still weird don't know how I feel about it. it's just extremely nostalgic and yeah. it makes me so happy to watch it. But it I'm not convinced yet that it these new episodes hit the same yeah uh granted they i only watched a- the one and they like re- that first episode they really it's all a recap lean like- into like the nostalgia like we're back everybody yeah. yeah yeah um but it's fun yeah no i'm happy about that it's a whole thing um we're gonna talk about talk to me on a different episode mm-hmm. uh but i do want to talk about that at some point because there's a lot of have cool we shit. all seen that 
No. I was supposed to see it. Uh, I'm really weekend. mad I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Oh, my God. I saw something you guys didn't I see. Know. Dude, I've been... Yeah, my schedule's fucked right now. <laughs> but uh, it might be changing soon, so... Uh, but hell yeah. Yeah, no, we'll talk about Talk to Me in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, so for this week, we watched uh, the audition in the beginning of our series on uh, Korean and, and Japanese horror. Um, so next week, we're going to take it back with the uh, same studio, actually, uh, mm-hmm. Omega Project, um, and a film that kind of put them on the map, well, along with a, a couple of other movies, but one that I think uh, many people are familiar with because of its American remake. Do you guys know what we're watching for next week? Ringu. Yep. Oh my God. Ringu. Ringu. <laughs> Ringu, not the ring. <laughs> the delay uh, was I was like, wait, trying to give Daniel a second to like catch up. I didn't. Um, I also don't know if you knew that that was next in yeah, order, but arguably, that movie is the reason this movie, yeah, got made. Yeah, especially because they made Ring, Ring, Ringu, and then it was so commercially successful that Omega was like, let's something along those lines. Let's do mm-hmm. it again, and gave Mika the. To go ahead yeah so. much like we do i feel like i feel like we do this often in many series and series in general like we're working backwards kind of mm-hmm. so we started with the audition we're going back to ringu um and then we'll continue with two other <clears throat> uh foreign films after that uh for our four four film uh foreign film series wow. uh, four film foreign films <laughs> uh so if you want to want to listen to us next week we're gonna be doing ringu uh the original japanese movie not the 2003 uh, american remake which is also good actually mm. it's, it's was it sarah michelle gellin right is uh her, her protagonist in naomi watts yeah naomi, naomi watts because i was yeah, thinking yeah. Uh, fucking king kong like i was like yeah king kong no actor. that's the movie that launched um uh oh, the guy who directed uh the first parts of the caribbean and then rango what's his name he has a weird name two two johnny depp films <laughs> yeah but getting, yeah. I mean, we're, we're obviously going to discuss the yeah, 2003 yeah. remake whenever we cover Ringu because it, it is an awesome remake, actually. And Naomi Watts, like, that is all around, you know, we talked about this in Mulholland Drive a lot uh, about her career and uh, the interesting, you know, aspects of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Ringu, we're going to watch that next week. It's going to be really fun. Uh, hey, this podcast has a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash scary Sunday scaries, you can support the podcast. Um, we've got t shirts, we've got stickers, and uh, we put stuff up there uh, earlier than we do uh, on the regular feed. Um, so go do that. It's awesome when you do that. And then we can buy uh, new microphones, pop filters, and other such things for our, uh, <laughs> our, our, for our hosts. Yeah, uh, new chairs. That's, that's the next on the lick. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, we also have social media. If you uh, look up at Scary Sunday Scaries uh, on Instagram or Reddit or uh, threads, uh, you can find mm-hmm. us there. Um, on Instagram, we post to our stories and stuff uh, with reviews, letterbox reviews, and other goofy stuff. Um, if you want to re- recommend movies or get connected on our Discord, email me, scarysundayscaries at gmail.com, and I'll get you hooked up with that. And I will take your notes and uh, recommendations for movies that we should cover uh, as well. Um, I like hearing back from people. If you want to follow me, I'm at Trav the Guy. I'm at Timeance, T Y M A N Z Z. I'm at DG underscore Pappas, P-A-P-P-A-S. Hell yeah. Watch Ringu, and then come listen to us next week. Listen to our Dead Air mm-hmm. sessions, too. We talk about random shit there, too. So, do that. All right. All right. Exactly. We'll see you next time. See you, then. See you later. Stay spooky. I love you. Later. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> Sunday Scaries.